Welcome to the Jed Breaks Bread Podcast. I am Pastor Jonathan Edwards, but my nickname Jed has been with me for the last 15 years. My goal is to encourage believers to have an orthopraxy as strong as their orthodoxy, that Christ might be honored and glorified through our lives. Thanks for joining me again for the Jed Breaks Bread Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing training objectives and procedures for the childhood years, the childhood years. If you recall, we've been studying the book Shepherding a Child's Heart, written by Ted Tripp, and we've been looking at how to apply the principles through the different stages of life. And today we're going to look at childhood. Now, childhood can be defined as the age range between approximately 5 years old and 12 years old. And there is one primary training objective that parents ought to seek to accomplish during this particular period. Now, this training objective doesn't always start immediately at 5, and it certainly doesn't end at 12. But if there's one thing you want your child to know and understand and grow in during this period of time, it is this, character development. Now, character development is who you are and how you act. Character includes both your mental and moral qualities as an individual. So when you say somebody has good character, you're saying not only are they wise or intelligent or using common sense, but they're also of a moral uprightness. They live within the law. They try not to break the law. They value rule of law. And, and your child's not going to understand all of what that means, but you should as a parent. And that's really the objective for this particular time period to help your child develop godly character. Now, one of the first verses that my dad ever had me memorize, I remember being five, maybe four years old when he began teaching me this verse, comes from the Proverbs chapter 3. And it's not the famous verse out of Proverbs chapter 3, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But it's the verses before that. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and a good repute in the sight of God and man. At the time, I don't think I really understood the significance of those verses. I understood that they were important, but I didn't realize that what these verses laid out was that your character counts in a world of fallen people. Your character matters, and your character will separate you from other individuals, even from other Christians. There are Christians who, surprisingly, do not have great or excellent character. In fact, the church has recorded many examples throughout history of genuine believers who don't have 
upstanding, godly character. And so, as you seek to shepherd the heart of your child, your goal is to instill and emphasize godly character. Because if you have godly character, you will find favor and have a good reputation, both in the sight of God and in the sight of men. Now, how do you go about defining what is godly character? How do you look at the scriptures and say, wow, there's a lot of people in here. There's a lot of examples. There's a lot of truth. What do I pick to start talking with my child about in regards to their character? Well, let me set the stage with this particular objection, potential objection. Some parents may say, well, how can I develop godly character in my child if I'm not even sure if my child's a Christian or not? That's a great question. But the reality is, you can't control whether your child is a Christian or not. And no matter what you do in the rearing of that child, you will be producing character. You will be producing an end product or an end result. And, you know, we don't want to think about our children as end results, but all of your training will impact and influence that particular child. So instead of saying, you know, I'm not sure if my child is a Christian or not, should I even try to instill godly character in them? Yes, you should. Yes, you should teach them what it means to be moral and upright and how to demonstrate both wisdom and common sense in the application of truth to everyday life. So what kind of character should a Christian parent seek to develop? A good place to start is Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now these are virtues, all right? And a virtue is how you act, how you interact with others. And each of these seven fruits, if you will, are virtues that Christians ought to cultivate, but that non-Christians can also cultivate. Do you know non-Christians who are loving? Non-Christians who are patient? Non-Christians who have self-control? Non-Christians who are gentle? Of course you do. Because these fruits of the Spirit aren't exclusively Christian, but they do define in an exclusive way those who are Christians. The fruits of the Spirit that are displayed in a non-believer's life are only as good as the programming that they've received. The most upright and moral non-Christian person is still on a road to hell. In fact, wasn't that the case of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus when he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus reads him or quotes to him, rather, a list of things from the law, and the, the rich young ruler says, I've done all those things. And Jesus says, okay, 
One thing you lack, go sell all that you own and come follow me. And his true love was revealed in that moment because he could not sell his possessions. He could not sell his possessions because he loved them more than he loved God. And even though that young man had excellent character, he probably displayed the quote-unquote fruits of the Spirit. Even though he had those excellent qualities, it didn't help him get to heaven. But what it did do was help him to have favor in the eyes of men and in the eyes of the Lord Jesus. At the time, I don't think I really understood the significance of those verses. I understood that they were important, but I didn't realize that what these verses laid out was that your character counts in a world of fallen people. Your character matters, and your character will separate you from other individuals, even from other Christians. There are Christians who, surprisingly, do not have great or excellent character. In fact, the church has recorded many examples. So the next question you may ask is, okay, if the fruits of the Spirit aren't exclusively Christian, why do we call them fruits of the Spirit? Well, we call them fruits of the Spirit because true believers will manifest those fruits, and only true believers can practice those fruits or grow in those fruits in a way that honors God and reflects God's character. When an unbeliever practices the fruits of the Spirit, they're just doing the best that they can according to their own nature. But when a believer practices the fruits of the Spirit, when a believer grows in those virtues, they are imitating their master, Jesus Christ, and are reflecting his character both to the family that they spend time with and to the world that they interact with. So here's another passage of Scripture that I think helps us identify what character looks like for the believer. Colossians 3.12 Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. Godly character seeks unity. Godly character seeks peace. Godly character seeks reconciliation. Godly character not only seeks forgiveness, but grants forgiveness and doesn't hold grudges. These are the character qualities that you should be attempting to develop in your children. You should be teaching them these things, and it takes a great amount of time. It takes going over the character qualities on a regular and daily basis. You see, your children have predispositions towards sin. And your children will sin in some areas and not in other areas. 
They have individual, unique personalities, just like you and your spouse. What happens throughout the course of life as they're interacting in their day with you? You will notice character flaws. You'll notice areas of real deficiency in how they interact with their siblings or you or your spouse. And it's important at those moments to stop and to talk with them in a serious and straightforward manner about how their behavior in that situation shows a lack of regard for other people, how their behavior shows that their heart is selfish, that their heart is self-interested, and that they are not really caring about others, but they're only caring about self. You know, a person's character will dictate how the individual responds to others and how the individual responds in situations where strict obedience isn't required. So there are many, many instances in the family where children are doing things that are not inherently sinful but maybe don't display great character. And parents have to be smart about this. Parents have to recognize that you cannot make a rule for every single situation. You have to teach the importance of character, the importance of considering others as more important than yourself, the importance of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For it is those character qualities that will govern, govern the behavior of the children when nobody is around watching them. Here's a good example of what we mean. Let's say that mother is trying to clean the house. She's working on picking up toys. She's working on uh, dinner. She's working on other projects. She has two or three things going at the same time. Women, God bless them. He gave them the ability to multitask. I wish I had that, but I don't. So mom is working on multiple tasks. The child is sitting politely on the couch reading a book. Is the child doing anything inherently wrong or sinful? No. Child's just sitting there reading a book, really minding their own business. And that's part of the problem. The child is minding his own business while mom works furiously to accomplish the tasks that need to be accomplished. A godly character will look around and say, Huh, my mom is working hard. What can I do to help my mom? The person with mature character will say, How can I help in this situation? What can I do to affect change? What can I do to bring about um, a good result? so that everybody is benefited and not just myself. You see, that's an instance where there's no discipline necessary because the child's not disobeying. The child is minding his own business. But that's, that's part of the character development process. When mom sees that, what she needs to do is say, you know what, son? What do you think you should be doing right now? Do you think it's good of you to read the book while I work hard? Or do you think it would be better for you to offer to help? And if I say, no, I don't need any help, then go back to reading your book. 
What do you think puts some, somebody else's interests ahead of your own? What do you think would be pleasing to the Lord? You ask those probing questions as your children get older, as they get into the elementary school years, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, so that you train them to think about other people, to think about how their actions are either directly or indirectly affecting other people. And one of the challenges I think that parents face is that it's easy to make rules rather than to ask questions to draw out character development. See, the, the rule is that you can make a rule in that situation. Children, you're not allowed to read books until all the toys and everything are cleaned up or picked up. Doesn't that rule solve the problem? No, it doesn't. Because it teaches the child not to think. It teaches the child to just look at, okay, here's the list of what I need to accomplish. Bang, 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 bang. And once I've accomplished my list, I'm done. I can do, go do my own thing. It's easier to make rules because character development takes so much time. You have to stop what you're doing. You have to ask questions. You have to continually reinforce what you want to happen from the Word of God's perspective. All right. The problem with the rules is that it can create a type of Pharisaism in the child where they follow all these rules and they become prideful about how many rules they're able to keep or how good their behavior is according to the rules that mom and dad have established. But when you take away mom or dad, the ones who made the rules and the ones who enforced the rules, what will the child do then? You see, rules address behavior when there is an authority present to watch. Character addresses behavior when there's no authority to watch. Well, of course, except God. But from a human perspective, there could be nobody else in the room. And a person, a young person with good character, will seek to do what is biblically right because that character has taken root in their heart and they're living out of their heart. Now, you must help your child cultivate a biblical evaluation of him or herself in the development of character. Why is this important? Because your child is an inherently prideful sinner who thinks that he or she is great. They're wonderful. They don't do any wrong. And so they need to do a proper biblical evaluation, a biblical evaluation, to see where they fall short of God's lofty standards. The child needs to understand how he thinks about God and how he relates to God. Does the child demonstrate a love or devotion to God? Does the child see God as creator and sovereign? Does, God, does the child want to place himself under the authority of God? How does the child think about others? Does he want others to serve him? Or does he want to serve others? Does he interact with them in a way that is self-interested? Or does he interact with others in a way that is selfless? 
How does the child think about himself? Does he understand his strengths and weaknesses? Does he understand what his favorite sins are? How does he view his relationship with his other siblings or with his mother and father? The Bible can give a very plain and simple evaluation of these areas, but parents have to take the time to go through that with their children. Okay. This is not an easy task. It requires a lot of diligence, and that's why we call this shepherding. That's why Ted Tripp calls it shepherding. You know, sheep, they're not the brightest animals that God created. They tend to go their own way, do what they want to do, live for their own interests. And God often uses sheep as the primary image for what his people are like. We're straying away, seeking our own interests, doing whatever seems appropriate at the moment. We're shepherding the child's heart. The shepherd tends the sheep by using various tools to gather them together, to keep them going in the right direction. The shepherd tenderly loves the sheep, but also tenderly disciplines the sheep. That's what your parenting must be like. And so, how do we train for character? What does that look like? Well, we have to avoid the temptation to make a bunch of additional rules. We have to avoid that temptation because it's difficult for the child and it's difficult for the parent because when you just create rule after rule after rule, nobody can keep them straight. Nobody can remember what they followed or what they didn't follow. That's the first temptation to avoid. Don't create a bunch of additional rules. And as your child grows older, parents must transition from rod-based correction to communication-based correction. You'll recall in the last two episodes that we talked a great deal about the rod and its usefulness towards your children and its importance towards them in helping them understand that sin has consequences and that authority must be obeyed. But as your child grows older, they grow out of the rod. What do I mean by that? Well, they get too big for it. They're too big for you. They're too big for the rod. It's not the right tool. It's appropriate for them when they're very young. But as they move into the elementary years, the use of the rod should become less frequent to correct them. And there should be other forms of communication or other forms of correction that take the place of the rod. Thus, parents make a transition from rod-based correction to a more communication-based correction. And that could look like a number of things. It could look like longer discussions. It could look like grounding. It could look like writing sentences. Uh, there, there are many things that you can do to still discipline your children without using the rod. Thirdly, parents must use the conscience. They must activate the conscience and train it correctly. For the conscience is the built-in tool that God has established for character growth, uh, for the assistance of character growth. So first we have 
Parents avoid the temptation to create additional rules. Parents transition from rod-based correction to communication-based correction. And thirdly, the third step in training for character is to utilize the conscience because it is a built-in tool that God established for the assistance of character growth. Now, a great deal about the conscience can be found in the book of Romans. The definition, however, I'll give to you first, is this, conscience, literally a knowing within. The conscience is the soul's reflection on itself. The conscience is that which God has created within us to either accuse us of wrongdoing or to acquit us from wrongdoing. And our conscience is only as good as the information that it possesses. Let me say that again. The conscience is only as good as the information it possesses. The conscience is a tool that God made within us. It testifies about God to every single person. This is why in Romans chapter 1, God says, everybody has a knowledge of me because I made the conscience. I made a knowledge of myself present within you, but you in your sin nature and in your rebellion to me have rejected the truth about me and you have sought to serve gods that are false gods, gods that are pagan gods. Our inner man uses the information that it possesses to evaluate our thinking and our actions, much like a diagnostic program running all the time on a computer. So what does this mean? Well, it means that the conscience is always being trained. The conscience is always being trained. Both saved and unsaved people have a conscience that is always being trained. Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16 are the primary verses in the New Testament that reveal the conscience to us. Let me read those to you now. Romans 2, 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So you can see in this passage that the conscience works in both unbelievers and believers. And the purpose of the conscience is to bear witness against or for a person's actions. And their thinking and their actions are either condemned by the conscience or excused by the conscience. Now, there are four different categories of conscience referred to in the Scripture. The first category is a conscience which is seared. The seared conscience is a conscience that has been trained to accept evil 
as a normal and acceptable way of life. So listen to what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Why is their conscience seared? Because they have devoted themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. They have purposefully trained their conscience to not be active according to God's moral law, but their conscience is active according to whatever law that they establish or create in their own influence, which would include, say, for example, uh, a gang. You could have a gang, and within your circle of influence, the members of that gang, you have a certain group of moral standards that you have created that you live according to. You could extend that to include a community, a culture, or worldwide. But the point is, somebody whose conscience is seared does not understand or value the moral truths that are revealed in the Word of God. They don't live by those truths. They live by some other truths. And they're not bothered by the violation of God's moral laws and standards. The second type of conscience that we find in the scriptures is what is known as an undertrained conscience. So this is a conscience that is really ignorant of God's laws or the way to enact God's laws. An undertrained conscience is different than a seared conscience because A seared conscience is not active any longer, or it's not activated according to God's moral truth. But the undertrained conscience does want to be sensitive to God's truth. It is just ignorant of that particular truth. Paul describes his own ignorance in 1 Timothy 1.13 when he says, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And so it wasn't that Paul didn't want to follow God's truth. It was that he was ignorant of God's truth. And he was ignorant of all that the law commanded or how to apply the law. Let's put it that way. Because he certainly knew the moral law of God. But he didn't understand how those teachings in the law presupposed the Lord Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of those particular truths and realities. So your child will start out with basically an undertrained conscience. You are responsible for training the conscience of that particular child. But you have to be careful because the third category of conscience is this, the overtrained conscience. The overtrained conscience. Now, <clears throat> this is the argument that Paul lays out in Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 5. And continuing on about the difference between the brother who is weak in conscience and the brother who is strong in conscience. The overtrained conscience believes that certain things are sinful when God's word does not declare them to be sinful. The examples used in Romans chapter 14 are the eating of meat sacrificed to idols and the celebration of certain 
holy days, or as we call them, holidays. The overtrained conscience uh, can occur in many Christians because we apply or we want to apply principles from the Word of God or truths from the Old Testament to our current everyday living situation, and it is improper to apply those things to our situation. For example, some Christians are very caught up in following food laws and dietary restrictions from the Old Testament, or they're caught up in obeying other parts of the Old Testament law that was given specifically for the nation of Israel. When a person takes those things that were given specifically for the nation of Israel and teaches other people that they must do them in order to be right before God uh, or to live rightly before God, let's not make it an issue of salvation, but they're just saying in order to be more pleasing to God and to honor him and to be holy, you have to follow these laws. You're participating in the overtraining of a conscience. For Paul says, and Peter, and James, and the author of Hebrews, that we have been set free from all of those things. All of the rules that govern the nation of Israel, we as Christians have been set free of because of the cross of Christ. The law that was given to Israel was given to them for a specific purpose, and that purpose has run its course for the nation of Israel, and we don't fall underneath that any longer. Now, finally, Paul describes what he calls the well-trained or the balanced conscience. The well-trained or the balanced conscience. This is the conscience uh, spoken of in Romans 14.23, where Paul says, the faith that you have, have as your own faith before the Lord. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. And this is what we're really striving towards as parents. We're striving to help our children have a balanced perspective on life, have a balanced conscience. And this relates to their character development because you want them in their character development to have a conscience that's activated to help them produce good character. Okay, you want their conscience to prick them, all right, to prod them into doing what is appropriate to living according to the standards, the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about a little bit earlier, that is what you want their conscience to do for them. It seems to me that Christians do one of two things. Either they overtrain the conscience or they undertrain the conscience. And Christians, at least in the circles that I run in, tend more towards overtraining than undertraining. And when you overtrain, the real danger with that is you make a set of man-made rules on how to be pleasing in God's sight, and you create what is known as some type of Christian legalism. Now, we, we don't believe this is a legalism in terms of how to get to heaven, in terms of salvation, but it's a legalism of if you don't do these things, you're not a good Christian. And that's not what we want our children to do. You can easily do that in the household by the creation of various rules and a lot of laws in your house that are designed to 
get your children to do what is mature and appropriate and would be thoughtful of other people. But rules won't produce thoughtfulness. Rules only produce restrictions and limitations. And therefore, it's important to work on the character development of your child so that their character is the character of Christ seeking to put others first, seeking to serve others, rather than to serve and gratify one's own desires. Now, how will you do this as a parent? Well, first, parents must have a long-term vision of character development. Godly character is not formed overnight, so don't become frustrated if you talk about these things with your kids for a week or two weeks and it seems like we're not getting anywhere. Give it time. Keep emphasizing the same principles over and over and over again. Remember also that not every display of poor character requires discipline. There are times when your children display poor character out of ignorance. And discipline should really only be brought upon them if the character issue they failed in has been clearly communicated and the child has disobeyed a clear directive. So not every display of character or of poor character requires discipline. It requires greater communication. Now, issues of character development toward other people must be connected to the internal workings of one's own heart. Let me say that again. Issues of character development toward other people must be connected to the internal workings of the heart. So you want your children to put other people's interests ahead of their own, you have to talk about to them about selfishness, covetousness, the desire to have more. What are those things that are going on in your heart that would prevent you from serving other people, that would prevent you from being kind and gracious, prevent you from being selfless? You need to connect the issues of character to the internal workings of the heart so that the child can see that what they are doing is really living out of the heart that they have inside of them. Fourthly, the goals of character development are the same whether a child is a believer or not. All right, this is very critical. The goals of character development are the same whether a child is a believer or not because you don't know, parent, whether your child will become a Christian or not. But you have a responsibility, regardless of whether the child is a believer or not, to parent in a way that honors God and puts God first. Finally, and this is critical as parents, your character as the parent must reflect the same principles and truths that you teach your children. Duplicity in the life of the parent will undermine the lessons being taught. Now, this doesn't need a lot of elaboration because it's very straightforward and sobering. Your character must reflect the same principles and truths you teach your children. If they don't see you following these things, they're going to say, well, why do I need to follow them? What good is it? 
They may not do that right away when they're young. But as they grow older and as they try to assert their own independence and their own authority over their own life, any duplicity that they find in you may be used by them to create a wedge to drive between the two of you or to drive between you and the church that you serve and the influence that you're seeking to have. Now, you may or may not be able to help that. I don't know. But we know this. We must lead by example. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it does mean that what we are striving to accomplish is living according to the same character qualities that we want to instill in our children. And that means as parents to be initiatory when it comes to asking for forgiveness and describing the process of change that has occurred in our own lives, showing them by example what good we can do if we live according to God's word and God's truth. Thank you again for spending time with me and listening to this discussion on shepherding a child's heart and listening to the training objectives for your elementary age student. If you have any comments, please feel free to contact me through our chapel Facebook page or through our website. Again, I pastor at the Grace Brethren Chapel and the website address is www.gbchapel.org. Check us out for information on our statement of faith, our weekly sermon, and other events that are going on in the life of the church. Thanks very much. Have a blessed day.